When is the last time you listened to a podcast about web development, web design, and small business and didn't fall asleep? Yes, we cover web development, web design, and small business, but like actual human beings with personalities. If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran. That's right, everybody. We are back, and this is the HTML All The Things Podcast. This week's episode is titled Succeeding in your first week as a junior developer. We'll obviously be talking about a bunch of tips for success if you get get a job as a junior developer in your first week. Things like ask questions, read the documentations, know the get, they get best practices, and of course, all of the different uh, ins and outs of the procedure, whether it's Git or otherwise, of the company you're working for. This is, uh, just as a side note, this is my first week back, so I'm going to be a little rusty here. Uh, I was on a long vacation, and I thank Mike for covering for me. He recorded some episodes, and we had a bunch of stuff scheduled and stuff like that. Uh, going and exploring Canada, the eastern coast is what I did. It was pretty fun. So if this sounds interesting to you and you want to support the show, you can go check us out on that Patreon, leave a review, or rating on your podcast app, join us in our Discord server, or share this with your friends. That was the part I thought I was going to mess up, and that's why I mentioned my vacation first, and I just... Muscle memory, you just bang that yeah. paragraph out like, super like quick. you weren't even gone, jeez. Crazy. Anyway, Mike, you wrote up this episode, these show notes. So how do you succeed in your first week as a junior developer once you get that job? Absolutely. So there's, I mean, when you get your job, that's when you're most excited, I think. A lot of people probably had a huge struggle, many, many interviews, tons and tons of uh, resumes sent out. But when they get that job, they think, okay, it's over now. The reality is... Yes, like it's a different phase now and it's awesome that you got the job, but you have to put your best foot forward right away. And that doesn't mean you have to grind and put in 24 hour days or anything like that. But it means that you have I I think there's a way to do it that will make it easier for you and the team that you're going to be integrating into. Now, all these tips, all the what you what to expect, everything I'm going to be talking about is very, very different from company to company. Um, I'm mostly going to be talking about integrating into a larger team, maybe in a larger company, startups may be more chaotic, maybe a little bit different, but I think some of it will always apply to them. So it's still kind of worthwhile to understand. But I want to jump right in here into what to expect in your first week, right? Like, what are you doing the first day you sit down the first week that you have that you have scheduled? Well, first things first is going to be a lot of meetings. That's almost a guarantee. Uh, Whether you're on whether you're remote or in office, they need you need to be introduced into the team. And even if that's already been done, you need to be introduced into the roles that you're going to be going through. And a lot of times in your first week, they'll give you more meetings so that, first of all, you meet more people and you have more of an understanding of what's going on in your team around you. So expect there to be a lot of time where you're going to be sitting and listening to stuff that you don't understand, <laughs> because obviously jumping into meetings that aren't like, you know, one on one but are in terms of like what a team is doing a day to day that they were, they started months ago and you're jumping in in the middle, it might be a little bit overwhelming. And I just want to throw that out there so that you're not like shocked. It's not, it's normal to, to, for it to be gibberish. A lot of times that the people are going to be talking about, people are going to be throwing out acronyms. People are going to be throwing out weird code words that they've been talking about for months. People are going to be throwing out technology that you've never used. It's okay. In your first week, it's perfectly okay for you not not to understand most of what's going on in the company. That I think it's really important to understand that it's okay to not understand. There is actually uh, something that reminds me of my IT days. So um, I worked in at BlackBerry for a few different positions, and I kind of, at least for me, the difficulty went up for each each position. So I was in three, I think, three different positions, and. Uh, the first one, like obviously every, like every single one of them had a bit of a challenge to it. And I kind of mastered the first one, um, pretty quickly. And I, well, I say mastered in terms of my co-op tasks. There was obviously more advanced things that the teams were doing, but in terms of what, what I was assigned, I sort of mastered that pretty quickly. And then the next, uh, one was the job itself was more about networking. So it was just straight up more difficult, uh, for everybody, including just the co-op tasks. And obviously my team was doing things that were way beyond me. And I sat in on meetings, um, 
with them in it, but it was still good because I would sit there and pick up just the odd word and they would, you know, say certain keywords or say certain things over and over again. And I would at least kind of have my bearings around it because if my tasks ever touched those routers or switches or that technology or that initiative, I at least knew like, oh, this is that new thing that we installed. And, and it's better than being like, Hey, what is any of this? Even if it's just giving you some context, even if it's giving you context to ask questions, it's super valuable to have it because at that point I can go, oh, hey, do you remember that meeting? Like, this is a way better way to ask a question than, hey, what is this? You know, what is technology A? Instead, I can go to them and be like, hey, do you remember technology A? We were discussing it last week in this. I didn't quite understand it, but I need to install something there. You know, how does that work? Is it like technology B or whatever? And then that way, it's it's a way better way to ask a question. You're asking a deeper question as well. So it looks like you've paid attention, which we have at this point. And then also you you are probably going to get a more in-depth answer. If you ask a really high level question, you're probably going to get a really high level answer and you're going to have to ask like six questions. So it's best to start drilled down in your question tree, if you, if you will. It's best to ask a question drilled down as drilled down as you can in your question tree to the sort of final question or questions that you're going to ask. Absolutely. And it, during these meetings, too, um, you can ask questions like I, I fully in, embrace asking as many questions as you can. But it's also important to realize that, again, you're not meant to understand every little thing that's going on during the meetings. So you don't have to stop the meeting every five seconds and ask, like, what's what are they talking about here? What are they talking about here? A lot of times, if the company is doing it right, they'll tell you when when it affects you. And then when they tell you, like, hey, hey. Jim, you're going to be working on this. So listen up at that point. Yes. Ask as many questions as you possibly can. Uh, make sure that you understand what they're talking about at that moment. And if you're not going to ask questions right there to like, you know, slow down the meeting, then af- right after the meeting, go up to one of the developers that was there or your team leader or whatever, and just clarify the stuff that is in your mind at that moment. Again, showing that you're engaged during these meetings a little bit, even if it's your first few meetings, will put you a, a foot, like put the step forward and get that initial communication going so that you can build on that communication later and get your questions answered faster. Building on that too, actually, is one of the things I did in those meetings that really helped me uh, was I took notes uh, actually on my work device, on my BlackBerry, and I would take notes and I do this to this day on my, like my phones now, my Samsungs and that. And I, I take call notes like that. I take meeting notes like that. And even if it's something, something where let's just say in this whole podcast, uh, hypothetically, let's say I've never heard of SvelteKit. I don't know what it is. And Mike just mentions the word SvelteKit once. If I hear it and it kind of doesn't ring a bell, but it kind of stands out as something I don't understand and it might be important, I'll literally just write the word SvelteKit question mark. And the reason why I mention that is because your notes don't have to be in depth. They don't have to have multiple points. They don't need to have a lot of details. They can be just quick little things because it'll jog your memory and a bunch of them are going to be thrown out and that's fine. They're your personal notes. You're writing it and you're just sort of quickly jotting things down, jotting things down. And in my case, I would jot them down digitally on a secure device so that they controlled the data and all that stuff. And I was able to refer to my notes and then ask those more deep questions and be like, hey, like I wrote notes here about how this is on like router one or this is on switch two or, you know, whatever. I'm I'm obscuring details, obviously, for for security purposes. But, you know, like, like, how does this technology work? Or like, is this important or is this the old one? And half the time it'd be like, oh, no, the reason why I mentioned it once is that's the old one. It's on its way out. Don't don't learn about that. We'll deal with that. You deal with the new stuff. And that's that's great to know. Then I literally update my note old, don't need to know this done over. And that's it. So like, just remember that if you, if you want to take notes, you know, it, it is a good thing to engage in meetings, but if you're taking notes just for you, you're not presenting them to a teacher after these aren't chapter notes that you're presenting to your English teacher after reading a chapter. These are your notes. So if you literally write in code <laughs> that you, only you understand, and it's more efficient for you to read that code. Fantastic. Because it's your, they're your notes. They can be as messy uh, or as crazy as you want them to be. Yeah, exactly. I think this is where like attending some post-secondary or being attentive in high school and stuff like that will help you in the workforce is in these meetings. I feel like that's where you're going to be able to get the information as fast as possible, put it into a form that you can remember later and reference later, and then use that information at some point down the line. That's what school teaches us for the most part um, is being able to do that in an efficient way. Uh, And so use those skills while you're there. 
The next thing here uh, will probably be a device setup of some sort. So either they'll send you a device and take you through all the different setup that you have to do of that device. So they'll send you a laptop. They'll might send you a phone. I don't know what kind of industry you're in, um, if, especially if you're developing for like iOS or Android. They're definitely going to send you a phone. Uh, but if you're not, then they might just send you a laptop. Or if it's a smaller company, they might just tell you, hey, can you please put this stuff on your laptop? Um, some of that stuff is for security purposes. Um, some of that stuff could be for monitoring purposes, which kind of sucks, especially if they're asking you to put it on your personal device. Uh, but it's really like the reality is that sometimes companies do do that. So I'm just warning you that you might have to accommodate or if you want to push back, then this is when you would push back on that kind of thing and ask like, what's the minimal amount of software I need to install to be able to use your uh, applications? Cause a lot of everything has to do with security now. Like when you're connecting to a remote network, if you're remotely developing that there has to be a tunnel there, there has to be a VPN, something like that, that you have to connect to. So it's all very systematic. Usually there is a very good process for this, where there is an application that'll take you through like every step that you need to install, or there is a very good documented, you know, video or documentation that will tell you exactly what to do. So this is something that you're definitely going to have to somewhat do, but uh, it's going to vary depending on company. And with the device angle as well, um, I don't know, you can argue against with against me on this, Mike, but I, I don't think it's inappropriate to ask if like to maybe express interest and say, hey, you know, I would actually like to keep this stuff off my personal device. So I wouldn't mind purchasing a work laptop. Is there anything you can give me for it? Because usually it'll be a smaller company that doesn't want to pay for a full laptop, but they might say, you know what, we'll cover 50% and you can use it 50% for personal at the end of the day, 50-50 or something like that. Uh, we even done that with our smaller company as well, where I have a laptop that I use to dump photos on my vacation and yada, yada on and, ha- and to have a computer. So I just charge the company 50% for it, obviously, and then 50% uh, I paid for out of my own pocket, of course. And then that way, it's like a 50-50 device. Now, some people might say, you know, you might offend the company that way. But if you present it, in my opinion, if you present it in a way you need to say, hey, I'd like to I'd like to keep this off off my my personal, you know, or whatever, I'd like to have some separation or however you want to pr- present it, you know, present it nicely, and then just ask and say, you know, is there any allowance? Th- th- this applies also to even just... Um, like boot, like work boots. If you need work boots, like I've asked before, because even in an IT job, it's like, oh, you have to go in the warehouse to fix the switches or whatever. You need work boots, and you can just ask, like, hey, is there any work boot allowance? And the work boots might all be two hundred dollars, but they'll give you seventy five. May as well take it, right? There's no, there's no harm in asking. And if they don't, they don't, and then you have to deal with it, like Mike's saying. But you know, there's no, hopefully, there's no harm in asking. At least there's no harm in asking, in my opinion. Yeah, I think you, I think you can totally ask. I think as long as you word the question just like you worded it, Matt, where you're like, I, is there anything that you can do for that? Um, then I, I don't see any issue with that. And I think it's important to establish those boundaries early on. Uh, and uh, first of all, and most of the time they will send you a laptop or they'll give you a stipend to purchase one. That's, this isn't a huge deal for most companies. Um, but again, there are some outliers. So next part is probably going to be some sort of onboarding. So onboarding can consist of signing NDAs, which might be done even earlier before you begin a job, do it going through health and safety training, um, going through your initial like onboarding videos. There might be onboarding meetings on top of that. There might be forms that you have to fill out for like your birthdays and your health stuff just in case. There's going to be a bunch of little kind of minute tasks that will integrate you into the company. There might be an intranet that you have to create an account for or at least sign in for. Uh, you might have to create your email address, right? The, or they'll invite you into their Google Workspace or Microsoft 365 enterprise account, whatever. There's just going to be different steps that you're going to have to take to get all of your accounts set up. And that's part of the onboarding process. And this is monotonous. This is annoying, but it's something that you need to kind of tackle as fa- like tackle and just get through, right? Like this isn't something you can really push back on for the most part. <laughs> this isn't something that you should delay either. I know a lot of times um, I've seen it before where a developer like will want to jump into code right away as, as soon as possible. But realistically, to get to that point, they're going to need to set up a GitHub. And to get to that point, they're going to need an email address, et cetera, et cetera. So it's all builds to the point where you can actually jump into code. So get it done is all I'm saying. 
Next thing here is the code base. So again, you've just been onboarded, you got your account set up, you got your device set up. Now you're probably going to be given some sort of GitHub URL or Bitbucket or whatever, and being like, this is where the code is. And the code will come with probably some documentation. It'll come with uh, all of the code, obviously. It'll come with their, maybe their branch guide, whatever. It's going to come with a bunch of different things. And hopefully it will also come with some time one-on-one with like a senior developer or your team lead that will take you through some of the core parts of the code that you need to know. The reality is a lot of times when you're working on an enterprise level project, your project might be spread out between multiple code bases. Your project might be a massive single monorepo code base with many, many different projects inside of it. Your project, there, there's many different formulations that your code base can take. And the complexity also scales depending on how old the project is, the different technology is used. So this can be an overwhelming moment because you're going to be looking and maybe as a new developer or someone that's just got into development, you've only done your solo projects or you've worked on a couple hackathons with a friend or something like that. And those code bases are all kind of pretty small, succinct. They're, it's something that you've built from scratch, right? So you're not coming into it from, from like a third party perspective. It's a very different experience when you're given a code base that's like three, four years old, built over, you know, 20 people or 30 people have contributed to it and have like, you know, different kinds of packages, different kinds of server client elements, uh, different serverless functions, whatever. Like there's just a million different things in there that you might have never seen before. It can be an overwhelming moment. But the idea is a lot of times a developer will take you through and hopefully focus you in on one part. Figure out, first of all, how to run the part that you need to run locally so that you can start some sort of testing and development. And second of all, figure out how you can contribute to that small little part. That's the ideal situation in this case. So I'm, I'm saying like, hopefully someone will take you through it. If, it. if not, then you're going to have to rely on the next part here, which is the documentation. Documentation is crucial and we're going to go get into it like pretty heavily in the next segment for tips for success. But this is where you're probably going to spend most of your time in the first week, maybe even the first month, depending on the complexity of your code base. As the code base grows, hopefully your development team also grows the documentation around it. They should be able to give you information about different, different ways to start your application. If it's containerized in Docker or if it's Kubernetes, whatever, they should be able to tell you how to, you know, download all the dependencies. They should be able to tell you how to run this part locally and or attach it to this like development server. They should be able to tell you how to create a branch and start working on it locally and stuff like that. So the documentation is something you need to take seriously early on and something that you will be shown and guided through hopefully right away. So live in the documentation. I would say this is actually a section. So the code base plus the documentation and not just the code base. If you even apply this to another technical job, like an administration job, like if you're in DevOps, for example, because you might be looking to get into DevOps, you might end up in DevOps if you're listening to this because it is closely related to web development. Um, I think these two things, the code base or basically like the workload and then the documentation is a part that companies actually need to work on the most. Because I've definitely been there where I've gone through the documentation for like a couple of weeks and I'm not, I'm, I'm, under, I'm understanding like where I stand in the company, like what, what portion I'm working on and like what my general task will be. But I'm not getting a, a sense of the bigger picture. I'm not getting a sense of like, of, of exactly like who I'm supposed to be interacting with, who is like, who should I be asking for um, either assistance or to work with like, oh, hey, I need a license key, you know, and I'm not getting like a great, um, I'm not figuring out exactly where I'm supposed to go. I'm also not sure like, where do I get the, uh, the, let's say the uh, authorization, like, like, where do I get my authentication credentials for things? And where do I get? And I think a lot of the time, this procedure here 
is usually kind of neglected because it's like, oh, you know, we don't bring on a, per- a new person every day. We don't bring on a new hire every day. So it gets brushed under the rug, but it actually costs the company money because if the person doesn't understand their context, especially if it's a larger company uh, and they don't understand what's going on. And, and this is not a, a per company thing. It's, it's a per company, but it's also a per team thing where each team should have just have like, hey, you know, this is where we stand. Like we, we test, like we test these devices or we make the website, but we we don't make the marketing site, you know, we make just the WooCommerce pages or we make and, and just outline that context and outline exactly what you're doing because you don't want to be the person that goes, oh, OK. And then you, you you rush on and you go to change the home page and it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not what we do. That's a marketing page that goes to marketing. And it's like, oh, well, none of this was laid out for me. None of this was clear. And now I'm either I'm messing things up or I'm about to mess things up and I'm being stopped and I've wasted time and, and, and thought process and thought time on on that type of thing and so if you're in a situation in which this these two sort of steps or these two sort of bits of the procedure are lacking i would try to fix it i would try to contribute to it and i've done this before where we've had a team wiki where the wiki was new so i mean to its credit it was new and it was there and it did help me to an extent but i went in and i started updating it because like i there were things where it was like oh our old server was called srv1 and we don't use that anymore we use like srv262 because our team is 262 i'm just making this up and so it's like oh okay well in the documentation it doesn't say 262 i'm gonna fix that and then i would put little notes in as well even if it's just in a, in italic because this isn't a public wiki this is a wiki for our team and you don't put your passwords and stuff in there of course but you can put little notes like you know you can ask enter name here for these type of credentials whenever you need help or hey this person's is helpful or this person's willing to help and and put the appropriate resources or hey you need to call it for this one this is in our area of expertise or whatever it is those type of things and and I don't know if it helped the next person. I hope it did, but I, I think that you should, it, this might even be one of your first little contributions that you go in and you sort of, you're doing a fresh pass at it. Just clean it up and add to it or even create it if you can. Yeah. Hopefully you're not, you don't have to create it, but if it is a startup or a small company, you, you might be the one creating it. If you're one of the first junior developer hires, yeah, that's going to be probably a, a task that you're going to be taken, taken to. Um, and that takes me to the final point of what to expect is the first task. So after these meetings, after the device setup, onboarding, code based documentation, someone will hopefully assign you a task to do. So you need to make this nav bar more responsive. You need to add this API functionality. You need to do something concrete, maybe update the, the documentation is your first task. I don't know. But regardless, that's something that you should expect is like there will be a concrete goal at the end of the of the day that you're going to need to accomplish, not at the end of the day, but at the end of your whatever, your first week. And they'll tell you usually what they expect the timeline to be. And this is where it can vary very diff- diff- differently for different people. Like if it's a very different, very difficult code base to understand, your most your first task is mostly going to be a very like narrow focus to make sure that first of all, you can run the code base locally. And second of all, you can edit it like in small amounts. So it might be just editing some text here. Right. That could be a first task. Hey, can you, you know, here here is the new text that we need to put in our terms and conditions or something like that. Can you change that text? Well, that might seem easy, but at the end of the day, you need to learn a lot to get to that point. You need to learn how to run the code base locally. You need to find where that text is. Is that text referenced in multiple different places? Right. Is that text in different languages? If it's a if it's internationalized is how, how do you create a branch? How do you then create a pull request to, to, so that people can review it? How do you then deploy your changes? It's so many different steps that any small change, and this is what I always do with the new developers. I always assign them the smallest little thing because I know that that it's not about the actual task. It's about the process end to end. That's going to be the difficult part. And for some people that could be hours for some different code bases. It can be days to get to the point where you can update a privacy policy. So. Again, it varies very differently. You shouldn't, you shouldn't expect your first task to be something you can finish in 10 minutes. It's usually going to be a pretty hefty first task because of the setup. Now with that, um, that's what to expect. Well, I also want to give you some tips. I want to make sure that the people that are listening to this podcast that are getting into their first role are able to succeed 
in that first week. Now, obviously not the first week isn't everything and there's a lot more you need to do. But I think as someone entering the industry, I know the anxiety that can happen because it's something completely new to you. And I want to actually give you some actionable advice to be able to transition easily. And the first one is read the documentation. Um, I have a little acronym here, RTFM, read the fucking manual. Uh, this is something that people say all the time. Uh, that's a little bit aggressive, obviously, but the reality is, yeah, it's really important to understand how to read and utilize documentation. When you're first starting out, a lot of your time, like I mentioned before, is going to be sitting there and being like, okay, how do I clone this repo? Go through, see how, the, how, how to clone the repo. How do I run this repo, et cetera, et cetera. That should all be documented. That should all be clearly labeled. And there should be gotchas as well because not everyone's going to have the same system, for instance. Maybe if one, a person has Mac OS, maybe someone has Windows, maybe someone's using Linux. I mean, if, if it's a corporate environment, they might standardize on something, but there might be different ways to set it up for different com- machines. That has to be also documented. There might also be like common errors that you approach. So those should also be in the documentation as you're starting the system. And everything else, all the technology, all the tech stacks that are going to be used, all the APIs, the third-party integrations should also be documented. So when you're given a task like update the privacy policy, what, what you should see in the documentation is obviously how to clone the repo, how to get it set up locally. You should also see if any internationalization libraries are used. Is there like French, English, Spanish, whatever? That should help you identify where the text would be for your privacy policy because different internationalization libraries store text differently. So stuff like that, like you need to be able to get through and read through the documentation, especially if it's at least somewhat complete. And like Matt said, this is where you can provide a lot of service as well, where you can read the documentation, find something that doesn't make sense and then fix it. And you might not be able to fix it yourself where like, let's say you read through the documentation, you're trying to start your repo, start the repo for your, for your project and something doesn't add up and nothing in the documentation helps you start your repo. Well, you'll go probably ask a senior developer, one of your team leads, and they might take you through what you missed. And maybe it wasn't in the documentation. This is the opportunity to add it. And personally, I think I always tell people, new developers to like when we find an issue, update the documentation, they don't always do it, which is a kind of annoying a little bit. So if you do that, trust me, you're going to get some brownie points. Even if you are, aren't the person like Mike said, you might not be the person that can do it. Maybe you don't have access to the wiki and it's one of the teams that do it or something. But even just taking notes where you, you write like, Hey, like step six doesn't make any sense or step six has server one instead of server like two or something. And this doesn't make any sense. Or I followed step six. So it doesn't make sense. And like make little notes like that. And you can ask. Someone like, hey, this is wrong. Like, where do I go do it? Hopefully, like, whoever you pass those notes on to can actually change it because they're not going to go through the onboarding process again. You know, like, it's, 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 I mean, it's not necessarily a waste of time. I was going to say it's a waste of time, but they're going to feel like it's a waste of time. If they've been working there for, you know, even a couple of months or years, even they're not going to want to go through the onboarding process again. So the best person to go through the onboarding process is the people that go through it and then be like, hey, what the heck? Like, I did, you know, steps one through 10. And all of them worked except for step six. What's going on here? And the, like the only way you're going to find those obvious errors, you know, short of typos, it's going to be people going through it. And so if you can offer that little bit of value, that's going to show some initiative. And it's probably going to, like you said, might get you some brownie points with the boss or whomever uh, maintains the wiki or the docs. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and docu- like a lot of times when you're first starting out, you might not be given a lot to do. Um, because everyone's busy and they don't know where to fit you in yet. Maybe they, they're waiting for you to on-ramp slower or something like that. If you have downtime, I kind of recommend going through the documentation sometimes, just reading about what's in your project. So obviously you're going to focus in on the stuff that's relevant to you, like starting a, starting your development environment, connecting to the servers, whatever. But the reality is, is that like if you know at least the scope of what's going on in your project – it's going to help you down the line when you need to ask the right questions at the right time, when you need to, when you can take on maybe a bigger task than they're ready to give you, right? Because sometimes they're just thinking like, hey, we're going to start them really slowly. But if you already know what's going on based on the documentation that you've read, 
you can be like, well, like, yeah, you gave me the privacy policy, but shouldn't I update the the terms and conditions? Shouldn't I shouldn't I update all of this stuff? International internationalization. I already know that is different languages. Do you have that available? Again, that's all you can learn from reading the documentation and getting kind of that depth of knowledge inside of the code base that you're going to be working in early on is going to make it a lot easier for you to adapt and get into a flow of the team. Because again, they're not expecting you usually to be able to hit the ground running. It's really important to also understand that as well. It's like your first week, <laughs> you're not going to be a super productive developer most of the time. And it's okay. It's perfectly okay to not have you know everything figured out, right? What's not okay would be to sit there and not ask the right questions at the right time and not and be afraid that, hey, I don't know this, so I shouldn't ask and like I shouldn't ask and then out myself as not knowing these things, right? Because then you're wasting that time for yourself and the company. If you don't know it, that's fine. Even if you're an expert in React as you were working through all your solo projects and you think that you are awesome at React and then you get into the code base and their React is different. Like they're using class-based React or they're using their own paradigms because like, you know, React a library and everyone does it differently, right? Like that's okay. Like, yeah, you're not as confident as you were with React because now this code base is completely different. That's normal. That's how it can happen every single time you enter a new code base. You can start asking questions and getting to the point where you start being comfortable again, though. And that's okay. And you should be doing that. It's really, really important to ask a bunch of questions in this first week, right? But it's not a, what's, what you shouldn't be doing is just randomly asking questions that pop into your head every five seconds. If you have a question about like, oh, I, I don't know how to solve this one issue with React, right? I don't know how to do this. Like this use effect is really weird. Try to do something at least. Try to solve it. Try to run it. See where it errors out. Get some background information and ask the question. Don't spend hours, but if you can spend 5, 20, 30 minutes to get to a certain point before asking a question, it's going to get you some brownie points because you're going to be talking from a more knowledgeable perspective. And you can tell people like, hey, I tried this and this. It didn't work. How do I get to the point where it will work? And they'll know that, hey, okay, well, they were in the right direction. Do this or do that. It's just going to get you a little bit farther when you can do that. Obviously, there's some questions where you don't need to do that uh, if they're not technical. But regardless, it's really important to kind of put your best foot forward when you're asking these questions as well. Another thing I actually want to add on to this, uh, based on what you just said, is don't overpromise things. So you might be like kind of rearing to go and you might be like, oh, I'm a master of React. I can just jump right in. And they might be like, oh, great. And they just throw you in the deep end. And I know some companies like the sink or swim method or whatever. I'm not really a fan of that. But the sink or swim method are just like, oh, we'll throw you in the fire and haha, we'll see what happens uh, type of thing. It's a good way to have a lot of turnover. But um, it's... Like something where if you are promising that, they might not even realize that they're throwing you into the fire. Like they'll be like, oh, if you're great at this, just go because you're all excited. You want to get going on something. And then you get there, like Mike said, and the code base is different. Their paradigms are different. Their, you know, whatever it is, is different. Their pro their procedure is different. And you're like, oh, I need some time to spin up. And it's like, well, you were a master at this. You know, you have 10 days just like everyone else to get this done. Go. And it's like, well, that's good. And so it's like, you know, whether you whether you can even get that task done, it's it always goes back to that sort of, you know, under promise over deliver type thing. It's like maybe you're not making promises because you're being assigned a task, but d certainly don't over promise in this in this stage. Like if you're if you're willing to do something, you know, say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm down to like try a task. I'd like to try something. But like make sure you word it like that. I'd like to try something or I'd like to see like a task that you might assign me so I can you know ramp up to it. Don't be like, oh, I'm a master. I know what I'm doing. Like, don't worry about it. And then it's just like, OK, here's 15 servers to manage and you know, God knows what else and enjoy. And then just walk away and it's like, oh, oh, good. <laughs> and a lot of times that confidence is a backfiring thing because developers know like you're just you're just starting up they know the complexity of the code that you're starting with regardless of your previous knowledge it's going to take you some time to ramp up so if you're going to be arrogant like that they'll throw you tasks that you'll probably fail at right like they'll try they'll try to trip you up and that's a dick move on both parts but regardless this is something you want to avoid 
under promise over deliver is something you need to live by during your first few months at least or really as as you keep going because as long as you can keep growing right like if you are amazing and you can solve every every issue in in the code base in like five minutes what what's gonna stop them from just letting you go after you've solved every issue in five minutes like that's a possibility right like it's you need to kind of balance the willingness to do everything right away with the fact that hey you need to ramp up like you need to ramp up not only with your with uh, the code base but you need to ramp up with, with the team as well like you need to you need to interact. You need to make sure that you're not stepping on anyone's toes as much as possible and stuff like that. So ramping slowly, under promising, understanding, asking those questions, that's going to give you that lay of the land. It's going to give you the slower start that is needed to succeed and not burn out down the line as well. Right. So do yourself a favor and make sure you do not over promise. That's for sure. Even if you think you can like 100% deliver, you don't know what's going to go wrong. You know, there, there is actually something here too. And, and you can ask your team members, uh, like what you should be promising or like how they handle tasks or how they take on new projects or whatever. Because sometimes there's a bit of internal politics as well, uh, with the yep. team where it'll be like, Hey, you know, this person is, you know, lives really far away and they prefer to work remote and they can only work remote on these type of tasks. So we just let them do those type of tasks. And it's like a bit of a team dynamic there where they're just trying to be friendly to their team member and let those tasks be done so that they don't have like a four hour commute in or something like that. And you don't want to be the person that goes like, oh, these tickets are easy for me. I'll take them all. And now it's like now the team balance is all weird and like you're new with these people socially. And now it's even weirder again. So sometimes like I, I would just ask and be like, oh, like, am I going to be assigned things? Do I ask for things? And they'll be like, oh, well, I usually handle, you know, I usually handle the switches. This person usually handles the incidents. This person usually responds to them. This person works at a different office. So if anything's on site, they might ask you to do it and they'll put you as like a co-helper or whatever it was in our ticketing software. They'll make sure you get the credit for it. But like, like if they ask you to do something, it's not because they're refusing to, it's because they're at a different site. Like you don't know the whole team dynamic and that's not really even technical at that point. That's more social that's more of, you know, you're getting to know these people, you're getting to know the office politics of wherever you are. And so it's good to even ask those type of questions where you don't want to be stepping on anyone's toes because it might seem so simple, but then it's like, oh, now I've eaten into my team's stats and like I'm hurting, I'm hurting their stats. Whereas like they need those stats and you don't yet because you're just onboarded. You don't need to finish your whatever it is, 10 tickets a week or whatever, you're, you have no expectation, but now you've stolen all the easy things. And now everyone has nine tickets and they look now that looks bad. And you don't want to, you don't want to be the person that disrupts that as much as you can possibly avoid that. Yeah, I agree. The team dynamics is a big one and it's always kind of complicated to maneuver. Um, but it's something you should at least keep at the back of your mind all the time. Like you don't want to come in and just be like this raging bull that's just like, I need to do everything all at once and that's it. But you should figure out that you should start slowly again, figure out how the team works and try to integrate with the team as best as possible while adding your own knowledge and your own skills to make the team better, right? Like, Yes, maybe you can solve everything that they're doing. Maybe you're arrogant and, and or maybe you're just that good that you can just do everything that they did that they've done better. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you should. So next thing here is no Git best practices. So you don't need to be an expert in Git. I'm not saying that, but understanding what can ruin a Git repository, I think, is key. So understanding what not to commit. So like knowing that, hey, environment variables that are private should never be committed to an open source repo or even a private repo, in my opinion, wherever can people can access more. That's really important to get kind of get security around. So knowing how to add something to a Git ignore file, knowing when not to commit something is really important. That's like a critical security thing that I've screwed up and you're probably going to screw up anyway, but the less you do it, the better. Uh, knowing what a merge is, knowing what a rebase is, again, is also kind of important because if you rebase something, for instance, in the wrong way, you can actually remove Git history. And Git history might be something that other developers rely on to be able to revert changes, right? So there's different critical things, core concepts of Git that can have a lasting effect on your repository without you knowing if you don't know them. So just understand the core concepts of Git, practice with Git, 
again, before you even get to the job, this is something that maybe not in your first week, but this is something you should probably prep for before is at least getting the first initial idea of how to use Git properly. We actually have an episode on this. Uh, we, we went in depth and we talked about, you know, committing and this and that and what could break a repo and rebasing and all that stuff. We actually have an episode like that and I'll link that in the show notes um, just because I think it is crucial that if you're like, hey, I don't know. I don't know this. I don't know that about uh, about Git. I mean, it is it is easy and we cover this in the episode, so I won't go in depth in it, but it is easy, especially if you're like just learning by yourself. And not on a team. It's easy to just sort of have bad practices in your Git. And as long as it's working, you just have no idea. Even with the best intentions, you're not working in a team. You're not working with, you know, high stakes. It's like, oh, no, I took down my side project that no one uses except for me because it's a portfolio piece. It's not a big deal. But if it's like, oh, I just took something down that's now going to cause us to have to, like, delete the database and, like, re- like restore from, from you know, it's a whole thing. So, um, or it can be. So, uh, I'll link that episode and hopefully that'll help you out if you don't know Git basics or you don't know any Git at all. Yeah, absolutely. And there, like to, to clarify as well, there are a lot of protections that administrators can put on their repos to prevent a lot of these things that I'm talking about. But you don't know what's on there, especially in your first week. You don't know what's protected. Like, is the push to main protected? Probably, right? Like, because a lot of times the deployment infrastructure will rely on what's being pushed to main. So you're probably not going to ruin anything on main, but who knows? It might not be protected and they just don't care because the team knows everything about it. And it's in the documentation. Again, maybe if you didn't read it, you could, you could screw it up as well. So yeah, it's just important to understand the core concepts. Next thing here is break stuff locally. So now that you've set up your code base, hopefully during your first week, I think you can learn a lot from just trying to figure out how to break something. So if you're working on some sort of API connection and everything's working fine, find out, hey, what's what would cause this API to break? And just by having that state of mind of figuring out how to like stop connect connection between one service to another, you're going to have to go into the code and figure out how stuff is connected, right? This is just an example, but I'm just saying like when you're intentionally trying to break something, again, break it locally, it has a different mindset for you than trying to add code as well. And I think it's a little bit easier to go through the code base and learn a little bit about the code base, uh, maybe undirected to like spin up. It helps you spin up in a different way. Your mindset changes and you're trying to do things that maybe haven't been tested before either. Like maybe what happens if this does break and all of a sudden there's errors all across the application, well, maybe we should catch those errors. So again, providing you another way to maybe assign some uh, or create some new issues that other people can work on or you can work on down the line. Again, initiative. You're showing your initiative a little bit here. You're thinking a little bit differently and you're learning the code base differently from how others learn it as well. Again, stepping a little bit different, stepping a little bit forward from maybe your competition or providing your the fact that you're a little bit different of a developer is going to help you stand out and hopefully progress in your career or in that job specifically. All right. So we've talked about tips for success. And I do want to touch on one last thing is what not to do. So there are certain things and Matt's already mentioned a couple of them. So we're going to jump right into that. But there's certain things you don't want to do in your first week as well, right? Because again, you might be the best developer ever. But if you do some, like if, if you make it so that you're stepping on everyone's toes, that's going to be a really quick way for you to get out of the job for them to lay you off. Because if you're, if the development team is working just fine, they need to add a developer to increase their productivity. But you come in and then, you know, three of the five developers are rubbed the wrong way. Well, that's going to be a problem for you. I can almost guarantee that. So when Matt said, Hey, make sure that you're doing the tasks that are assigned to you. And not trying to, you know, take other people's tasks. That's a really key one. Because, like, who knows what the situation is at that point. Maybe maybe you've finished your first task. Maybe you've updated that privacy policy, right? Maybe you finished it in 10 minutes. Who knows? And then you go and look at all the different tasks in your whatever task management software that are in progress or assigned. And you're like, well, I can finish this one and this one and this one. And it's assigned to Bob, Jill, Bill, like Bob, Jill and whatever. And you take those and you finish those tasks too, right? And you present that maybe to your manager later. That That's going to be really awkward for the people that were assigned those tasks. 
yeah, great. You were, you took initiative. You finished those tasks that other people were assigned to. But the reality is you're going to have to work with these people. If you want to help them, feel free, reach out, be like, Hey, I'm finished this task. I noticed this other task that's really similar to it that you're, you're assigned to. Do you want me to take that on for you too? That, that will be treated way differently. I guarantee you that, Hey, you're either going to get a response being like, Oh my God, thank you. Take the task. Or you're going to get a response being like, oh, hey, sorry, I finished that. I forgot to mark that as done. Like those are the two responses you're going to get. Okay. So just know that there is a little bit of office politics you have to play. You can't just be a bull in a, in a candy store and just start, you know, ripping tasks off the wall and just start doing them. You need to figure out the process. And in your first week, it's probably not going to be enough time to figure that out. So just follow along and learn, learn how people do this stuff. There is something there as well where – you there are like there's a little bit of office politics, but done by machine. And what I mean by that is, is sometimes people will have profiles in their ticketing software and they're expected to complete a certain amount of tickets each week. And if you start stepping on toes there, they might actually get in some sort of trouble or they might get told like, hey, what the hell? Like you you didn't complete your whatever eight tickets this week or whatever. And it's because like, oh, the new hire came in and like stole my tickets for me from me type thing. And so like even though they might be able to just explain it away, hopefully if it's like a decent company and they can just explain it away, it's like they shouldn't have to be explaining it away because they had their eight tickets and now like they only have six done. And it was too late for them to grab another one because there weren't any like easy ones that they could complete within that time. So like Mike is correct in saying like, you know, reach out to them and they might be like, oh, like you can help me on it. But like, I'll have to keep it in my name even or something like that. If you want to take the initiative type of thing, um, just because like there is that literally that office bureaucracy where it might not even be the, the team that you're on. It might be HR or some sort of organizational uh, team. That's in the company that might be watching tickets and being like, hey, this person is underperforming. What's going on here? Uh, I know for sure that this is especially true. I mean, this is a little unrelated, but especially true with salespeople where they have to hit targets and stuff like that. I mean, there's a little bit of that in tech, not always. But again, this is something that you're going to have to onboard and learn and make sure you're not stepping on anyone's toes. Yep, absolutely. It's important to kind of be aware of what's going on around you in that in that sense. Um, next thing here is. Try not to ask the same questions over and over again, right? So if you're asking, hey, how do I spin up this repo or how do I start this, the development server? And you ask the same person five times that same question, you didn't write it down. You didn't read the documentation. It's going to look bad on you. Like, I mean, this one's pretty obvious. Like, I, I don't want to kind of hammer this point down too much because I feel like not many people do this. I haven't personally uh, ran, ran into a lot of developers that ask the same questions over and over again. We're pretty good with that. But overall, you, you want to be able to, if you're going to be using something and you get an answer, you want to somehow document that, right? Whether that be, hey, someone sent you a bookmark to the documentation, bookmark it, or like a link to the documentation, you can bookmark it, or someone sent you, uh, a, like, you know, just a code pen or something. Again, you can put that in, like, put that somewhere, or someone just sent you a message over Slack, save it in a note, whatever. Like, there's so many ways that you can document your, the answers to your questions that there isn't a lot of, excuse for asking the same question over and over again, especially if it's like the same, same person in the first week. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I mean, I guess if you're only running this one application once every two months and you forget how to run it, that's different. Like, okay, maybe you, you ask that question again, two months down the line. It's not a big deal. First of all, asking a question twice, also not a huge deal, but it, when it gets to like three, four five times, it can look bad on you. Another thing you can do here, though, is to frame things differently. So if you're not sure if it is the same question, you can say, you know, I'm not sure if this is the same thing we talked about yesterday. Uh, like this is kind of a more social sort of, you know, do not do. So you, you can absolutely frame things or you can be like, hey, you know, I know we talked about this yesterday, but I just maybe like, I, like I've forgotten this or I just don't, don't quite understand things like that to approach it in, in a way in which it acknowledges that you did pay attention. Cause some people will be like, oh, great. This guy's not paying attention or, or oh, this guy doesn't know what he's doing so at the same time or so if you if you frame it in in a way that's actually happening like you know be honest and truthful and just say like hey i wasn't sure if this is related to yesterday's thing should i follow the same advice as yesterday then you're asking the same question but you're getting the same answer in a more quick way that they're aware that you're like oh you're just clarifying it's fine like they they did pay attention yesterday type thing so just little things like that where you can just sort of socially smooth things over goes a long way yep absolutely um, next thing here is rewrite working code just because you've done it differently before. So when you're going into a code base, let's say you're updating the privacy policy, but you see someone that's sorted the, 
something, sorted something in a weird way. Maybe they use a for loop instead of the sort function for uh, JavaScript, right? And you're like, well, I've always used the sort. Maybe I'll just change that as well while I'm changing the privacy policy. I hesitate to recommend to do this, even if you know that it's the quote unquote right way to do it. Because in your first week, again, this is the, the, the context that you have to be thinking to go in and assume that you know better than anyone else on your team and just push that change in and like ask someone to review it. That might rub people the wrong way as well. Because first of all, there could be a reason why they did it the for loop way. There might be some sort of reason that you're not thinking of, even if you know that it's better or whatever. Or it just could be something that doesn't matter. Like maybe you're sorting 10 things, right? Like writing the best sorting algorithm for 10 items, it's never going to be a difference. Like you're never going to see that difference. So they just wrote it quickly. They got it working. It was pushed through. It was reviewed. And now all of a sudden they see someone that's just started the changing what they wrote. Like they wrote three, four months ago. And they're like, why are they changing this? It's working perfectly fine. It's going to make it awkward. Like it's going to be a weird situation. So keep like, I'm not saying don't suggest better ways to do things because I absolutely think that you should provide that kind of insight if you know how to do something better. But when it's an arbitrary thing, just really think about it in a way that like, okay, how would the other person feel if I were to change their code right now, especially without reaching out to them? Maybe it's a, if it's something bigger, like, hey, I, I noticed that you're passing props in some like in this way that could actually affect the performance of a really, really complex function or something like that. I, I've done it this way. Maybe you can reach out to the person that did it or ask around and be like, hey, who implemented this? And then reach out to them directly and be, ask them their logic. Maybe they can explain it. Maybe they'll be like, oh, shoot, you know what? I just implemented that real quickly. I didn't think about the implications. You're right. Those are the better situations. Just changing things and then pushing it into a, a, a pull request without talking to anyone I hesitate to recommend that. I would I would recommend not doing that, especially in the first week. Next thing here is pretend to know things you don't. So this happens a lot. People are confident or people are actually not confident and are scared a little bit in their first week. So they're like getting thrown all these crazy words, Svelte, React, uh, Mern Stack. They're like different database types of Postgres, MySQL. They're just getting thrown a bunch of stuff. And like you'll have a random person ask you, hey, uh, we need help with like MERN and we need to add this database to it. And you might be compelled to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, let me let me do that for you. Or you, oh, yeah, I've done that before a million times. Don't do that if you don't know it. OK, like if you know it, sure. OK, maybe you can throw your, your advice and throw some help in. But they're going to know quickly, like really quickly that you don't know it if you don't know it. And it's going to be awkward and it's not going to work like uh, work well for you. Right. Like it's not something you can't recover from because sometimes it just happens accidentally, even like you might think that, you know, it, but they are just talking about completely something completely different. That happens. It's OK. You can just be like, oh, shoot, you know what? I thought you were talking about something different. It's OK. You can work. You can work your way out of that. But if you just double down, you're like, oh, yeah, I can, you know, do all these joins in this SQL. No problem. And then all of a sudden you end up wiping the database by accident. That's going to be bad. OK, because now you've confidently stated that you can't do it and you've broken something. <laughs> so they're going to question that. This is actually especially true on the resume as well. Um, so there's like a little section of the resume that I had, at least on my old college, like getting trying to get a co-op resume where we were supposed to write a section that was just sort of skills that you have, but they're not super in-depth. Um, and like I put, you know, website design or, you know, stuff like that in there. And I was like called out and like held out for it. And they're like, well, how like you, you wrote in your resume that you know about websites. Like, can you build us this big old thing? And like, you just got to be honest right away and just be like, no, no, no. Like I've used WordPress, you know, and I know a little bit of HTML, CSS, at least at that time. I don't know how to build this, this big old thing. Um, because I've absolutely been assigned a task and luckily it was taken away from me, but like where I said, Oh, I know how to use some telecommunications equipment. And it was like, Oh, okay. And then I was assigned a task where I was supposed to set up like this whole, um, sort of like an answering service system. And I looked it up because like nothing made sense to me when I looked at, when I looked into it and it was like, Oh yeah, like a lot of this stuff is very sort of, you can't Google it. Like you have to get training from the company that made it. 
and, or f- from someone else who knows it because nothing makes sense. It's not like a call is a call. A call is like a link. And, you know, it's like they have their own sort of whole language and everything inside of this thing. And so I immediately was like, hey, I know how to set up, you know, the VoIP phones and the VoIP lines and get like POE, power over Ethernet. I know how to do all that. I do not know this telecommunications stuff. And so like just being outright and say like, hey, hey, hey like, you know, you misinterpreted my resume or hey, you know, I, you've misinterpreted what I meant by telecommunications. I'm talking like the Cisco phones on the desk. And these are the things I know about those. And I know a little bit about the back end, but I did not ever touch the answering service. That was someone else and just nip it right away <laughs> as quickly as you can, just so that people aren't like, Oh, like the, the new, the new guy knows all about telecommunications. Like I'd like the, the answering thing change. And it's like, I uh, don't, don't know that. <laughs> so. Yep. Uh, <laughs> that can get really awkward quickly, but yeah, you're right. Like just clarify as soon as you can and not a, it's not a big deal. You don't know what you don't know and that's perfectly okay. Everyone will understand that. That's that's the point that I'm trying to make here. It's okay to not know things. Don't put so much pressure on yourself that you have to know every little thing that anyone's asking you. It's not possible. Not possible. Not possible. No matter yeah, it's not possible. So you can say I don't know. That's it's they're going to respect you for that. I can guarantee it. It's a good thing. Well, you even had a teacher like we've mentioned him several times and embedded where like he wrote he wrote out some core files, which is basically like a driver just to sort of glance over it to not get into it. But basically like a driver for one of the chips we were using in class. And then we used his driver to do a bunch of stuff in the class because we were learning more about the circuitry and that and didn't care too much about writing the driver part. And we've asked him questions about the driver. And he's like, hey, you know what? Like, honestly, like I wrote it when I went through the documentation and I didn't keep that in my brain. Like I would have to relook that up. Like, I don't know that. And then that's a teacher just being blunt and it, and it, those answers sound way better than just, I don't know. It's like, Oh, does this teacher know what they're doing? But he explained, Hey, I go through it. I only need to do this once. You don't write multiple drivers. There's this chip isn't changing because we're using the same chip. It isn't like a, a website where it needs to go through updates or it isn't like a phone or Android where it needs to go through updates. This chip is not changing firmware. It's a little tiny, like I see a little integrated circuit. So I learned it. I wrote it. Now I throw that information out of my brain. It's like, oh, okay, that makes sense. And then that gives us even a thought process. And, and, and on that note as well, like it, you can even smooth things over where you can be like, I don't know that, but like, I'm willing to check it out. Like I'm willing to learn that or I'm willing to like look at it if you need me to look at it, but just, you know, be forewarned. I've never touched it before because they might just be like, oh, you know what? Like we're in the concept phases of this thing. No one on the team really knows this well. Sure. Get the new hire to just take a peek and maybe write a little bit of the wiki on how to install it or something. Even, you know, just something basic or just get get your bearings. And that might be like the first meeting that you have down the road once you've read up on it or whatever on introducing the other engineers to this, you know, at a really basic level or something, it might be a good first task. So, you know, just a lot of this stuff is sort of like handle the social situation with grace is a lot of this stuff. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it's true. Which is easier said than done. Obviously, like people talk fast. I mean, I'm probably talking fast right now without realizing it. So, um, but just handle social situations with grace and just be honest as much as possible uh, or, or always hopefully. And um, that's, pretty much going to get you through a lot of situations in the office. Um, and, and this includes like, if you get yourself into trouble, like I've accidentally assigned, like, um, I've accidentally, so like, I'll just like tell a story, I guess right now, a really brief one. So I had this like incident where, um, our manager, we used to work remote a lot and I used to basically always go to my technical lead for most managerial things just because most of my stuff was like, Hey, my college needs you to sign this or something, you know, something like that. Cause I was a co-op. And I, the, the college last minute was like, Hey, like, where are you working? And we need to send someone in tomorrow. And I just knew that my manager wasn't going to be there. So I just gave it to the technical lead. That's a procedural mistake. It was supposed to be the manager. And so all, when I did that, the whole team was like, that's a mistake and you might get in trouble for that. So I was like, okay. So before all the news broke, I literally just wrote an email to the manager with the technical lead and been like, this was my thought process. I apologize if I broke any sort of thing. This was last minute. Uh, like, you know, they needed to find me, they needed to do it tomorrow. And I just, thought this was the procedure. Sorry. And it was like fine after that. Whereas like, if I let it stew, then it's awkward when the manager comes back in and it's like, is he going to say something to me about this? And it could be days later. It's like, why let it stew? Just be like, Hey, this was my thought process. Sorry. If I broke an, an office procedure in the future, if there needs to be another in-person meeting, who should I sign it to? And that's it. You know, mistakes were made. You just say it and it went over fine. And that was it. 
It wasn't like I got in trouble. So, um, again, handle social situations with grace as much as possible. And if you get yourself into trouble, handle the trouble with grace if possible. Yep. Best advice probably in this episode. Handle social, social situations with grace. Last thing here before we wrap up uh, is don't suggest new frameworks and libraries for every little thing just because you've had fun using them. Um, if you're going into a very mature project three years down, three years and it's using something like Angular, right? You were hired to do the Angular development, but you love React. Very common situation. You might be tempted to go in and be like, well, why aren't we using React? And then in every meeting being like, well, we should be using React. We should be using React. Angular shit, Angular shit. That is not going to make them switch to React faster. I can guarantee you that. In your first week, you should not be pretending that your knowledge of React is going to change the trajectory of this project as a whole. It's probably not. There's probably a reason they're using Angular, and there's probably a good reason why they have not switched to React. Maybe the reason is that they just have all Angular developers. Maybe the reason is that it's working fine as is, and there's no point to invest a year of time into switching frameworks to accomplish the same thing. There's many, many different things that happen in these decisions where sometimes a company will choose to go from framework to framework and it is a big undertaking and they decide that it is over. But a first, a one, a first week hire suggesting that is never going to be the case for the reason to switch. Okay. It's better for you to be like, okay, you can talk about react with your coworkers and you can talk about all the newest technology stuff, but suggesting to replace everything that they've built with something in your first week is going to come off as a little bit arrogant and a little bit unknowledgeable due to the fact that how big of an undertaking it is, right? So just be aware, be wary of that. Once you're more seasoned and you see some serious actual problems, critical problems that a, a technology could solve, that's a different story. Starting the process of convincing people, convincing managers, convincing your coworkers, it's difficult sometimes and sometimes you should try it figure it out if it's even like something that's people are receptive to and then stop like if someone is very against it and you continue to plow at going through this migration process it's going to come off as bad too but as you start if you can chip away and you see that people are responsive to it you know again Social situations, everything is different. It's all about reading the person's reactions and being able to respond to them in a certain way. And just knowing that you don't know everything is really half the battle here. The, the thing with that situation as well is that if you start suggesting a lot of things, almost like a replacement, you might be thinking that you're gung ho, but the it might be almost like taken as an insult from the people that have engineered yeah. it for a long time. Absolutely. This is especially true, at least in my experience, when someone is sort of older school and they, they've been on the project for a very long time and they took forever to engineer it. And then they'll be, you'll be like, Oh, well it doesn't have, you know, enter feature here. And why is that? And then they'll be just be like, well, because I didn't engineer it that way or because we just didn't do it. Cause it's like, it's like, where does that conversation go for them? Like you might be thinking you're being helpful, but to them it's like, why well, I, I engineer this whole thing? Who's this person you know, who's like, quote unquote, the kid on the team, whether they're old or young, like who, who's this person that's coming onto the team that's kind of stepping on, stepping on what I've done when like they weren't there for this whole thing. Cause then they, then sometimes they have to justify themselves like, oh, well, you know, the, 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 the timeline was three weeks, the budget was this and it, 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 it sucks for them. Like it, it is. And some people are going to get pissed to be blunt. Yep. And again, it's okay to ask those questions as you become more familiar with the team, as you become more friendly with them and just just ca like casually asking them, um, I definitely not in meetings with stakeholders and stuff like that. Like don't I've seen this happen before and this was super awkward where I was in the meeting with like managers and clients and uh, like maybe the, even like C-level people. Like it was a pretty big meeting and there was a technological decision that was done for something. And one of the new guys was like, hey, why did we do it that way? And now like in front of all the stakeholders, essentially the lead engineer has to go in and explain the reasoning again, probably that he's explained 15 times in front of other people. That's going to rub off really badly and saying like, especially if you do it in a negative way, like imagine being like, Oh, we should never use that as a shit framework or that's a shit library. <laughs> I've seen that happen though. Like people are very opinionated with this stuff 
But that can be seen as very conflicting and you should not, you should really avoid doing that as far as much as you can. Um, treat it with tact, treat technology choice with tact. And it's, it is a process to try to sway people's opinions. But that's it, I think, Matt. Uh, I think hopefully after listening to this podcast, you'll have a great first week and a great first year and you'll be in the industry forever. Um, but yeah, we just want to help you as much as we possibly can to, uh, first of all, understand what's, ha- what's coming. And second of all, help you succeed in your development career. Yeah, absolutely. I think like the obviously there's um, a lot of like technical, a lot of technical stress and stuff like that when you try to try to make your get into your first role as a junior dev. But then there's also a lot of social stress and also whether you have to commute now and learning, learning new things and meeting new people. And it's a lot of it's a lot of things that aren't technical as well. So I think covering kind of all of that really in this episode uh, helps a lot or hopefully will help someone out there kind of work their way through it and get through it. And again, handle social situations with grace and you'll probably be fine. But that concludes this episode. Like Mike said, many thanks to our $3 tier patrons. If you want to become a $3 tier patrons or just want to become a patron and support episodes like this, we are on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash HTML, all the things. And many thanks to our $3 tier patrons, Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital, blueblackdigital.com, Tim from the web hacker on the webhacker.com. Jason from Geek Life Radio via geekliferadio.com. Michael Curie from MC Web Studio via mcwebstudio.ca. Magnus from YesWeb via yesweb.se. Jeff on Twitter via at the Jeff McHale. Fire Ant Season via fireantseason.com. Gunner Brunette via gunnerbrunette.com. Watoto Coding via watotocoding.com. And Garrett Segal. Feel free to leave a comment or review on the platform you're listening to this on. And this outro will sign us off. You've been listening to HTML All The Things Podcast. Web development, web design, and small business. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings. And we hope you had some fun. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on social media. On Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at HTML All The Things. And on Twitter at HTML Everything. Until next time, this is HTML All The Things. Signing off.